0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Welcome to Good One. Show about talking them jokes, mm-hmm. Hey, 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 good one. It's a good one.
2: Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on and picks a joke from their career to play and discuss how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's guest is Craig Robinson. Writing this intro, I actually checked to see when was the first time I asked Craig to do the podcast, and no joke, it was March 2017, five years ago, two months into doing this podcast. He was like legitimately one of the first people I've ever asked to do the show. And partly is because I'm a fan, but specifically, as I wrote in my email to his team, I have long been obsessed with his 1997 appearance on Def Comedy Jam. I, I don't want to spoil it because we're going to play a clip from the set, but-, but to see how his deadpan interacted with a crowd that was so used to like super high energy it- is-, is a fascinating study of the relationship between comedians and audience. What do you need to know about this set is Craig is introduced by Cedric the Entertainer, and then he walks out and quietly sits down in front of a keyboard. He, he fiddles with the knobs and then starts. The entire set, he is sitting down at the keyboard. To honor this, and because when I was preparing, I, I noticed that Craig is just much more comfortable when he has a keyboard around, I, I brought him a little keyboard to play at his discretion. And and he did. He He didn't ask any questions. He was like, this is much more natural. <laughs> Thank you. The rest of Craig's career, you know, from his work with Seth Rogen to his role on The Office. Currently, Craig stars in Killing It, a, a totally ambitious, big laugh, new comedy on Peacock. It's ostensibly about a Florida statewide snake-killing competition, but, but it's actually about freaking America, capitalism, the American dream. I, I really like it, and I really like Craig. So, here is Craig Robinson.
1: Before I begin... How many people out there have seen Chris Rock's HBO special? Give a hand clap if you saw Okay, there goes that material. Um, (laughs) And it made me kind of nervous to come up, but I remember something my father would say when I was a little boy and I would be scared and alone. He would say, stop crying right now, I wanna share a poem with you. I call it, Stop Crying. Stop crying, stop crying right now. Before I give you something to cry about. You're making a scene and you know that it's wrong. Just wait till we get home. The violence has got to stop. There used to be a time where you could drop your friend off and wave goodbye. But now there's carjacking. Other day I dropped my boy off. I'm watching to make sure he got in the house safely. He's watching to make sure I don't get carjacked. Man, we were outside all night. Did you hear that the man who wrote the Hokey Pokey died? It was very sad and very embarrassing. At his funeral, they could not get him in the casket. They put his right foot in. I know you all know Kid Capri is an excellent DJ. But I'm gonna tell you something personal about that man. Last night we were leaving a party and you know it was raining. And as I was crossing the street, a car spun out of control and it was coming straight for me. And Kid reached out and pulled me out the way. Last night a DJ saved my life. I'm a very romantic person. I love to be in love when I can and I sincerely believe in the hope there's someone out there for everybody. The more I date, the more I realize that my person died at birth or something, I don't know. The girl I'm dating now, the girl I'm dating, the girl I'm stalking now, She's a Muslim, but I just call her my (laughs) ex-girlfriend. We know we can't be together. All
2: right. I'm here with Craig Robinson. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, Jesse. What was the last time you watched that set? Uh, You know, I, I think it was in the past year. I came across it on YouTube. So let me see what in the world's going on with this guy.
2: They're like, if you like Craig Robinson, you would really like this guy, Craig Robinson. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I want to back up a little bit to tell the story of how you got there. And um, when you you tell the story of starting out, you'll you usually say two things, which is one, you were born to play music, and comedy found you, which I find both is sort of like a really romantic way of putting it. I want to know what that was like in practice. Did it feel like Your music destiny and your comedy destiny were competing. Was there pressure to do music because you come from a music family? You know how did it manifest? You
1: mean my my, the marriage of the
2: two? Yeah, yeah. Or even the if you thought for a moment like I either have to pick one or the other. You know like how did you?
1: Um, I was, uh, you know, uh, we we had a musical whole musical family. It was it was like a rehearsal studio. Our house had drums. The three sets of drums, there were organs, pianos, banjo, guitar, (laughs) bass. Everything was there, and um, so and my mother, music aficionado, she was, you know, first chair cello in high school, and and uh, she taught music, and she taught us music. So you know, it was music is in our blood. She was playing and singing while we were in the womb. You know, so um, so fast forward to college where. Where I I was looking to you know I, th- I was going to be a musician, I was going to school for teaching, and you know for education and, and uh, music I was you know majoring in music education, but I was thinking I was going to you know do some songs and this that and other, and then comedy just kind of swooped in. I is um I was uh, I saw I comedians as like superheroes. Yeah, I didn't. I think they it didn't feel real. Like I would see them and I feel the effect of being in a comedy club with this crowd. It was an amazing feeling to just be sitting there, somebody make you laugh, making all of us laugh, you know? Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's you know. And so I would always make people laugh and be silly as hell. And and then one day in college, uh there was like a, a talent show, I think it was the, uh, the Zetas or something thrown it up, throwing a talent show, and two people I knew went up and did comedy, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is what? These are people I can touch? And it blew my mind. It was the first thing I got serious about. Yeah, Every, You know, everything else was jokes, 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 fun, fun, fun. And I was like, wait, how do you do this? How do you how do you cre- construct a joke, create mm-hmm. an, an act? So uh, I started taking that serious in college. I, you know, I got my degree, so I started teaching. Um, but then While I'm teaching, I'm going, I'm doing uh, the open mics. Well, here, let me back up. When I first started doing the uh, doing comedy, it was uh, almost a. Uh, I was at a New Year's party, like a. Uh, it was a few days later, it was, yeah. and it was like a dinner party. About six people, six or eight people, and it was this girl's house. This girl I went to high school with, and uh, and it was this uh, this this pretty girl there. this model. And and I, we were all talking stuff, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do comedy. You know, I'm going to try comedy. And uh, my friend was like, hey, there's open mic at uh, All Jokes Aside on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, how about, yeah, I'm going to go down <laughs> and there. We'll come support. So that was like a Saturday or Sunday, and then Wednesday came around. And I'm driving down to the open mic at All Jokes Aside, and I realized I have n- no jokes. <laughs> I don't have anything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think about what people called me in high school, teased me about, or what have you. And uh, there was zero punchlines. And uh, then I I mean, we talk the nerves set in. So get down there. The the girl was there. The the people (laughs) from the party were there to support. And uh, I had no idea what it meant to be a comedian. I I just I got on stage. I sat down for whatever reason. (laughs) Uh, I, I did. You know, my little uh, stuff I wrote out, nothing worked. And all, I bet you everybody there, and even myself, I should not have gotten back on stage as a comedian yeah, yeah. Like, ever in life after that. But I had a, what, uh, like an out-of-body experience, and kind of, and I was eerily comfortable mm-hmm. on that. Like, it, I should not have been. It was just quiet, quiet, quiet. And then and as soon as they started the music for me to get off the – the guy, there was a uh, uh, at the there was a, the Showtime at the Apollo was out around that yeah, time, yeah. and and when they wanted somebody off stage, they would point to to the, point them off the stage, you know, yeah, like back and forth. This point, and uh, and this guy in the front row did that. I remember that <laughs> to this day. Like, you get off, please. So. um so was
2: the comfort you felt different than when you played music? Like, was you know, you'd I assume you'd performed music by that point, so or is it similar? Or is it uh, no,
1: no, 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 the, the comfort was, was it was just, um, it was, it was, I don't know, it was like, hey, it's okay, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay, you you belong here, mm-hmm. just uh, you know, this uh, you gotta almost like a okay, now, now take it serious, yeah. Now you see what it is. It's okay. You you can, but it's not gonna kill you to be up here. So I was like, I, I don't, I, I, don't know where that determination came from. <laughs> but it, it was, uh, that's why I said comedy chose me because yeah. it, 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 it was all I, I, I live, lived, breathed, slept it. Yeah. One, one time we were in Chicago. Uh, Gary Marshall had a book signing, <laughs> and uh, I went down there with the keyboard and. Uh, it was a long line, and then finally I got to the front, and I, I started playing. I'm so wild about Gary. It was the weirdest thing. He was like, "Now here, this one. Here, where, where's your headshot? I don't have anything. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? He's like, "See, he's not he's not prepared, but that he was he was complimentary, but he was also letting me know you're not prepared. You yeah, you, yeah. you came and did all this. So what, what are you doing? So that was that. One time, I, Bill Maher had a book signing. And I said, "Wait, what's your name?" He said, "Bill." I said, "I thought you were Bill Cosby." And he laughed. And uh, (laughs) he signed my book. And I was asking, you know, what what do you, how do you do this? And he was like, "You have to live, eat, sleep, Mm. breathe comedy." Did you,
2: were you researching different types of comedians at that point? Were like, how can, what are different ways of doing it beyond, you you know, what, what was that sort of immersion looking like beyond just performing?
1: I continued to go to the open mics, and uh, it, I think about a fourth time I got on stage. So I, ha- I had that experience at All Jokes. Uh, I have a cousin that does comedy. He put me on this one show, and you know I just had like that poem and one other thing, I think. And, yeah. You know, I did a few minutes, and it, it went fine. Then I went to this um, thing called Hector's Heaven in Chicago where uh, three people get rubber chickens. You get three minutes of nobody bothering you. They ring a bell. If you can make it to the full eight minutes, great. If not, three people have has a rubber. You get all three rubber chickens out the audience, you got to get off. I got, my first time, I got two rubber chickens. And uh, I was like, I'm not getting a third rubber chicken. Now I was about the third time I went up. Now the fourth time it was at Heckless having again, I came back with the keyboard. Yeah. And, uh. And uh, that was all she wrote.
2: Did you do the same set, but just with the keyboard in front of you, essentially?
1: Uh, I mean, there were definitely some of the same jokes, but uh, but the keyboard just, you know, just music soothes the <laughs> savage beast. Um, this is a side note.
2: One time on a podcast, someone asked who your favorite musical comedian was, and you said Victor Borgia, but I couldn't tell if you're joking or not. No, I love Victor <laughs> Borgia for sure. Was that something you knew, learned about at that time, or did it something you discovered along the way?
1: I, I knew I knew a little bit about Victor Borger, but um no he he's, he was incredible man yeah you know it's uh, this you, you can't really top what he was doing turning playing a the uh, the uh 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 what was that? the long ranger upside down <laughs> um so you know Chicago in
2: the 90s was an interesting time because you have second city and you have sort of the mainstream rooms are still there. The sort of alternative rooms were bubbling up, and then you have All Jokes Aside, which was at that time probably like the premier black comedy club in the country. Definitely. How did you approach the city as a whole? Like, did you feel comfortable in one space more than the other? Did you feel comfortable in all spaces? Did you did you intentionally be like, I need to make everything work?
1: Wherever there was comedy, I was going to. Yeah. So way far on the south side to yeah, all the way down to Zanies and and to. Uh, all jokes those were the ones those those were the hottest ones zanies and all jokes and i would just you know go in and 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 try to make my presence felt can you talk a little bit about all jokes aside because i don't know if people people if the people need to know what it meant at that time all jokes aside was uh like just about downtown chicago like 800 south wabash around there and uh and uh, it was this this black comedy club. And, I mean, everybody came through there. Name name any black performer, they, yeah. they came through. All Jokes so it was extremely important. Um, it was extremely, it was fun. It was a beautiful club. Uh, 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 Mary Lindsay, Ray Lambert, I can't think of the other cast's <laughs> name. They were uh, running it. They had some contests, too, so that uh, I came through there. But it was it was the best. it was uh, it's, it's crucial to uh, my my career.
2: Um, how would you de- describe what those shows were like?
1: Okay, so you had two hosts, mainly. You had Damon Williams and you had George Wilbar and they they defined what you know the, the host was like mm-hmm. it, it was really their shows. But then you got you know Steve Harvey or whoever else coming through. Uh, and it was, you know, so at that time, you see Steve Harvey or, like, the me and the boys or whatever, and, you know, you got to see these, like, celebrities come there and do that thing. It got wild, but it wasn't, like, rowdy. Like, yeah. like they had a couple of rowdy nights, but it was, it was the, man, the, the acoustics in there, everything was just live. Yeah. Like, imagine people just, you know, hooting, hollering, going <laughs> crazy, but it was respectful. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was dope. Yeah, I feel
2: like I remember watching a documentary where I think you had to dress up or you're expected to dress up. Like, it was... A nicer night out, <laughs> but also like crazy energy.
1: They, they did. They do have a documentary. I don't. I don't remember the dress up part. I was dressing up anyway <laughs> at that time. I was wearing suits and stuff. So, so that so I, maybe I just came natural with it.
2: Um. Yeah. Were you wearing suits, and why did you? You know, how did you decide to be? I'm gonna have a keyboard. I'm gonna be wearing suits.
1: Whatever I I could do to uh, uh, distinguish myself. I was like, I'm gonna wear suits. I'm gonna do deadpan. You know, I got this keyboard. uh a keyboard, I wasn't even really maximizing it like I do now. Like it was just, you know, kind of there, and there was a couple different jokes I had with it, but uh, it was mostly deadpan stuff. And um, my, my first weekend, I got, and all jokes aside, I got hired to do, I guess what, 20 minutes. And I, I don't think I had, I was, I don't think I had 20 minutes, mm-hmm. right? and uh. So I was all nervous about that, and then Mary, who was like notorious for like kicking people's ass, you know, uh, the comics were scared of her, and she 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 said to me, "She was, you did 24 minutes. You went over four <laughs> minutes." I was like, what? so it was this mix, like, what? I did 24 plus. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I did. You know, so it was this double meaning, but uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I ended up doing that. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah.
2: How did the deadpan thing start? Did you was that always who you were? Did you figure out that's kind of what the audience was responding to?
1: I love deadpan, like Harvey Corman, Leslie Nielsen, uh, uh, Peter Sellers. Those you know, think people the stuff going on in the background. Yeah, like you take a naked <laughs> gun movie and, and Leslie Nielsen's like, There's nothing to see here. It's the boat blowing up is all. It's like fireworks. Everybody just calm down. Nothing to see. Here. I love. All of that, just being able to deliver a joke without having to, you know, sell it. Yeah. So uh, that's, uh, that's always been, for now, of course, it's as I evolved, there's, you know, a lot more animation, but there's always going to be some debt. Yeah.
2: Was that hard to sell at first? I mean, it's like a high-energy time. Did it, fe- did, or was it to your benefit because everyone was doing, you were zagging when everyone else was...
1: It was probably to, uh, to my benefit just because it, you know... It, the, um, sitting down at the keyboard with, like, and I'm, you know, making sure it's right there. And, of course, okay, so there's this musician, John Cage, way back in the day. Mm-hmm. John Cage believed that whatever was music. So it's actually a video of him, like, going around the room, <laughs> yeah. you know, just tapping stuff. And, uh, and I, I kind of felt like some of that, like, so whatever murmur or whatever was going on, some people were like, hurry up! You know, whatever that was, that was all music to me. Mm-hmm. So I would sit down, and, and then, uh, one time, Owen oh, Smith told me that like, yeah, when you sit down doing that, you taking your time. It's like this is important to you. You getting your you know self together, and then by that time you come into my world. Mm. So now, you know whatever I'm doing, you're like okay, fine. Well, what's he gonna say? And then I, I hit you with the one line or this that that's something really you know really crazy, and uh, so uh, so now we on magic copyright.
2: Yeah, I mean there's something the, in the Def Jam set even you. You just walk out slowly, and you sort of sit down, and you like check the volume. Terrified. <laughs> well, well, how, well, before we get to this, set itself, how, how did it come about? How
1: did you get the show? Um. So, uh, Def Jam did this. Uh, what is it? Oh, oh okay. So uh, there was a contest called the Miller Genuine Draft, and you won three thousand dollars and a spot on Def Jam. <laughs> So I ended up winning that contest uh, against all the you know some greats in Chicago and so when when it when it came time you know then I didn't hear anything for a while and then uh, Bob Sumner called up and said hey bring your hottest seven minutes because uh you know we we filmed four but we only show three so 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 I got I got the spot but it wasn't guaranteed mm-hmm. you know and um but that call happened to come uh on my birthday I think you know, so, so I was like, Oh, okay, well, that was nice. So I knew I was going to do Def Jam. And uh so that's how I got it. I won the spot and then and uh getting to go out there and film it. How 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 many years into comedy were you at that point? I filmed Def Jam in uh ninety six, it aired in ninety seven. I started comedy in ninety <sighs> four. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, Def Jam was Def Jam. That's, and, and, yeah, I'm, yeah. and I'm sitting there like uh I have a poem to tell you. <laughs> yeah, so when they asked you, like, did part of you go, like, you know what I do? No, they knew. Yeah. They knew because they, um, uh, uh, they, they they came to the contest, the contest yeah. that, uh, that, that I don't want.
2: How much time did you have to prepare for the show, give or take? I
1: mean, uh, I, don't, I don't remember. It, it was enough time and because I, I I ran my my act, you know, morning, noon, and night, like in the mirror, you know. So by the time the, the set you saw, and I think they cut some stuff out of there as I look at it. But uh, the the set was uh, well rehearsed. So whatever nerves that came along with it, which was a lot, was well, they were just going to have to uh, you know, be there. Because yeah. I was not going to mess up a word on that. Um, at, at the time,
2: or even now, how do you write? Like, what is writing a, a joke like for you? What is writing a song? What is How do you actually do it?
1: Oh, well, I mean, it starts with the... Uh, inspiration you know something inspires me sometimes a joke comes fully formed sometimes for instance this is a bit I'm working on that, uh, that I can I'm kind of adding and subtracting to it's um it's like millennials or 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 or, or my, my generation versus gen z millennial whatever it is yeah. but uh, I the way it's been coming about you know I was I'm just kind of noticing the differences mm. and then you know there's some extremes and then there's some truths that are still extreme such as uh, or like uh, like Zoom isn't new mm-hmm. you know how long has Zoom been around? I
2: I five years but five
1: maybe. years I say since the 70s you ever see the beginning of the Brady Bunch? yeah you know so, so he's, he's, he's he's and then you go I'll tell you what. you know Netflix used to be what? Blockbuster right? yeah uh, uh, Uber used to be what? Taxi. Airbnb used to be what? Underground Railroad. You know, so it's like these things, <laughs> they start coming together. But it's like, um, I, I've, I don't know that I've, I've ever just sat down and been like, I am writing a joke <laughs> right now, and this is going to be the punchline. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's all about when the inspiration strikes. Sometimes it, it'll be like, it'll pour out of me. Like I got to pull over because mm-hmm. I'm like trying to type it in or, or I have to record it. Uh, uh, and then I work it out on stage, pretty much. That's where a lot of the uh, the, the words come together and, you know, edit and yeah. what have you.
2: So um, the night of the taping, how were you feeling before your set?
1: I was terrified. <laughs> it was super most, probably most nervous I've ever been doing a set. <laughs> I was like, I had no idea if, I was, if it was going to be received right uh, or well or, or what. But... Uh, you know, like I said, I was I was prepared. I was more than prepared. I think I like might have fasted a little bit. You know, I, w- I was ready to go. Had had and you, I was looking good, so yeah, it was that. <laughs> had other people gone before you? Like, did you
2: get a sense of like how the crowd was? Like, I think of the legendary the Bernie Mac story of like everyone did bad and he came out. But like, how, how did you feel like the crowd was?
1: The the everybody went. you know there was Thomas Ward uh when before I me mean, there was another comic i'm not sure who and then i went on and then uh, alex thomas went on and uh and i i then they, when they played it they put me last mm. so it was uh i was very interested i was like oh okay so they switched up the order but it was uh i did not i did not tape last but they put me last which i took as a good sign
2: the the set starts, and Cedric goes, all right, I'm going to talk a bit while the guy sets up. Did you have to set up your own equipment before your own set?
1: Every time. <laughs> Did— uh, I, I always—but I would always get to the—even to this day, I, I had to, you know, go do a sound check way early. So he's talking, and you're, like, walking up and— For Cedric? No, yeah. no. The, the, they, had, they had a person that night. They had, yeah, yeah, that was a, you know, professional God, I was like, that would be
2: really <laughs> hard to set up your own equipment. and they'd be like, I'll be back, but, like— no, no, it seriously. If, if,
1: if uh, yeah, I, I have a whole thing about I don't want to see the crowd or the crowd to see me beforehand. So now that never would have worked. But um, as I'm, I'm always having to go. You know, I'm always at the club hours early.
2: Yeah, just sound checking in, to like... sound
1: check, make sure everything's good, which to my advantage because then yeah, I get to walk through, kind of see what's going on, feel the place out. Yeah, yeah. So, you, um, I want to walk
2: through the set, at least as it airs. And if you remember anything that was cut, please. So, you walk out, no mic. So, you're just, there's, they're clapping, and then their clapping stops by the time you get there. <laughs> what do you feel? In, and then you're adjusting your volumes right there. You know you're going to have to say the first joke, but right before you say it, do you feel like you're already getting the energy you want, or they're interested but not it, booing?
1: It was, it was kind of like that, uh, Going back to that first uh, uh, all jokes, you know, where um it was kind of out of body. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But but I, I was, but I felt it. I felt uh, it was a good energy. It was yeah. very It was very live in there. I can't I can't even, uh, you know, it, it was they they were patient and I I got there and I did everything as quick as I can. Yeah. It was all set up. But it was I was all it was it was good energy. Someone else take it off. Take it off. Someone, I don't know if you I, registered I, I, that, but I, you, I think I heard that after the fact. I, I don't. Everything was. I was so focused. I was probably as focused as I've ever a set I've ever had. But so it was like I'm going forward because in case they didn't like it, I had to you know <laughs> keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that first
2: joke, the Chris Rock, you get everyone to clap. Um, how did that come to you? What were you thinking? Was that special for that set? It was. It's an amazing way to open because it's sort of like you're getting them clapping about some other comedian.
1: Um, So, Gary Shallon did that joke. (laughs) And I told him this, rest in peace. Uh, But he did, he said, How many people have seen me before? And he goes, And I just changed it to Chris Rock. So, that was (laughs) thanks for asking that. But that's my honest answer. So, you, but you knew What if every joke I was like, Well, actually. Well, that would (laughs) be fascinating. But so that joke you knew
2: you were doing kind of a riff on the Gary I bet Gary took it from some guy
1: a long time ago. <laughs> I doubt it he, he was a true original. But it you know you made
2: your own but th- I mean there's also like you're filming this I imagine like months after Bring the Pain came out. So like it was Yeah, huge. yeah,
1: I think it was yeah, yeah, I think it was around that one.
2: Um so then you say and then they're laughing. So by the time they laugh the first time do you think like
1: oh, I got Oh, so good. <laughs> 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 oh, all right, let's eat. Yeah, yeah. It was, and it, I mean, you still we're, were like, you know, hoping to get through, but that was a that was a relief. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean,
2: it's you do about one joke a minute, so it's like at each time you have to like reset and hope they're on board. But one joke a
1: minute. It can, it can, I mean, you
2: have laughs in between, but there's sort of one piece a minute or so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's, that's an interesting movie.
2: So the next joke is the the poem
1: about your dad or a, about a dad. Where did that come dad, from? I was you, uh, that was real life. <laughs> <laughs> Stop crying. You know, my father was always i like, give you something to cry about, but he wouldn't say it as a poem. But I turned it into a poem. Um, and it was uh, one of the first things I had written. And uh, when I knew I was, was thinking about uh, getting into comedy and stuff, it was one of the first things that came to me but to make that – into a poem, and this is something that many, many, many people can relate to. Yeah,
2: yeah. The audience is immediately even. It felt like the audience was like a, trying to figure out the, we're like going to finish your sentences.
1: Yeah, that's that's part of that too because they they do know what's coming. Yeah. So it's fun to to give
2: them that. Yeah, they even laugh when you, you have a poem. They're like, "Oh, this guy's different," but like we're <laughs> curious. <laughs> How weird. Yeah, I have a poem I want to share with you. Um, the next joke. It's really interesting because you start by just saying the violence has got to stop and the audience
1: is clapping like you're actually about (laughs) to say something serious. Right, right. That was uh, uh, the carjacking joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just uh, that was was always uh, out of left field. Yeah, the audience is like, and especially because they're on TV too, so they're like, I guess we have to (laughs) applaud this. But some of them, some of them got you know you hear like got a laugh like what is what's up with this dude and that's that's when it the puns who get it like that yeah you know, go along for the whole ride uh you know, those are the lucky ones
2: yeah because then you know that when you do the joke they are invested in the exactly
1: setup. Um, so th-
2: when you the next joke is the hokey pokey joke which is like truly <laughs> that joke the reaction to that joke is <laughs> everything I mean it's like inc- I assume that was like a moment that you'll always remember, or just sort of like. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That was that uh, was tearing up uh, in Chicago. So when they were able to transfer that uh, to Def Jam, and uh, was a, was a magical thing, it was, it's so, it's so simple in concept and construct, but yeah, it was good.
2: Do you th- you don't even have to finish it. Was that always how it was? You sort of jump to oh, yeah. the right, and then the audience is already ahead of you. Exactly.
1: It's That's hard. the punchline. They put us right for
2: the end. So then you do the kid Capri joke. I assume were you doing that joke about just whatever DJ, whatever. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I remember when that <laughs> that I birthed that joke. I was uh, I used to be a bouncer at a nightclub called Entus in Chicago. When I say bouncer, I was the the guy who ran to get the bigger guys if something went down. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a DJ. I think Gary. Uh, there, was there was a couple of different DJs, but I think Gary was one. And I, I had a buddy, Rob. Rest in peace, Big Rob. And we were, all, you know, shooting the shooting the shit, and I was being silly. And I and I I was like, yeah, yeah. And I talked about hanging out with Gary. I was like, yeah, man. Last night the DJ saved my life. When they cracked up. I, I put it in the act, and then, you know, and then, you know, it did what it did. And then when I got to uh, to Death Jam, I even told Kid, I was like, hey, this is I'm a yeah, this is one. It, it was a cool fight. Use your name in this joke. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, did you feel like they were believing you that you're going to tell a story about Kid Capri? Oh, I, 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 well, I don't see why they wouldn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything else you did. Was, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was saying. I mean, but it was everything was real in that. You know, it yeah. was raining, and there, there are parties because Def Jam, and you know, it's easy for a car to spin out of control. So why not? <laughs> why not go along for the ride?
2: Um, oh, so it was raining. So then you're like, you brought that into the joke. And partly it's also acting, right? You're just playing it. Exactly. At that point, you pr- like, you're already studied acting. You're like, I'm going to play it really real. And you're like, okay, everything else is a joke, but this part is the real part. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then the next joke is uh, the the joke about um, there's somebody out there for everybody, but you think your person died. hmm where does that? Where was
1: that coming from at that point in, in Craig Robinson? <laughs> that's uh, that's still in there. That's uh, well, that's just you know the, the frustration of dating, uh, pretty much. You know, you it's hard to uh, I mean, everybody goes to that because um, when you think about that perfect person and nobody is that, so yeah. that, that's all it is. Um,
2: it's a a romantic joke and romance is a big part of your comedy even to the day you do like. S- it's like sexual songs, but they're not like sex joke songs. They're just sort of like romance songs. And I feel like I've heard you talk about like you want couples to come to your comedy show. What, what it's, it's a great date night. What is it? Like why it feels like it's a bit of a muse, this sort of dating itself uh, for you? It's, it's an
1: endless uh, uh, endless topic. It's, it's always something there. It's always uh, uh, challenging and in and, and different and, and, and the same, you know, if you're out there, you're in love, you're going through certain things. And if you're single, you're going through certain things. And you probably yearning for love. And if you're in love, you, you, there are times you wish you were single. You know? Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's this ever-going subject that's uh, always ripe for the picking. Um, so um,
2: the thing that's so interesting is that you're sitting at a keyboard... And you do not play it for the, the, the majority of this set.
1: <laughs> they might have cut something out of that, but,
2: but, but yeah. But even so, you knew there's gonna be. Unless you started with a song, it seems like you're like, what? What is that? Like, what is? <laughs> what do you? What is the power that it has? Is, is there a certain tension it creates? Of, like, when's this guy gonna be playing this keyboard? <laughs> you,
1: you, the second person to mention that, and the first one was this, uh, this guy. Uh, a comic in Chicago, he said, "They were watching, and his his like like grandmother, who was not moving much or doing anything much. She she watching, and she he starts sitting up. When is he gonna <coughs> play the piano? Uh, so uh, that that was years ago. But uh, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they might have cut out uh, uh, a bit I do with uh, uh, where I Im- imitate a." Uh, <laughs> so um, that might have been cut out. and Maybe one other thing I'm not sure, but um, uh, 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 as far as the tension and all that, that yeah. that's that that was created because that was cut out. So it's, it's, uh, you, you wouldn't be asking this head. That oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but in general, having the keyboard, do you feel like it does more for you or does more for the audience? Even when you're not doing playing a song, do you feel like you're more comfortable there? Do you think they Find you more comfortable. What What is the energy it brings?
1: I, it's very selfishly it, it would be for me. Like yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what come. I know that music, you know, not only soothes but it uh, inspires and it, it uh, uh, you know it reminds you of a time. You know, mm-hmm. you might play something like a. You know what I'm saying? Where, yeah. where do you go when you hear that? <laughs> I wear my sunglasses at night so I can, so I can see the light. You know what I'm saying? You, you go somewhere. You, you, yeah. <laughs> now you in the basement with your cousins. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then when she don't take her panties off, I'll be like... <laughs> um, so... I love to take them on that journey, uh, you know, because something happens on the inside, you know, and, it's, and, and 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 you mix some laughter in that. It's, it's a good day.
2: Are there songs that sort of like constantly, like if if someone says a word, or you constantly is like, does your brain immediately like think in song? Like, oh, that's like that song. Like when you're by a keyboard, you're like, is there something that's like almost automatic to?
1: Uh, if I see what you're saying, if if my wires are up and I'm I'm in that silly mode, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, cause, or you can just do that, not even by a keyboard. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, but that's, that's, that's almost basic too. Cause, uh, we, we do that. Friends do that. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, my manager is silly as hell. He'll, you say a word and he'll just start singing. So, you know, we, we do that all the time.
2: Yeah. Um, it, it, it reminds me of, um I feel like play is a word you bring up a lot when you talk about doing comedy. Like, no. what, what, why is it, Important for you to be in that space, to be in a playful space, to be playing when you're on set or being playing when you're up playing music, but also doing comedy.
1: When you're playing, you're you're, you're open and mm. you you're living. You know, it's uh, it was a time I was like, I want I want everybody to become, and you just we're in kindergarten. You know, what I'm saying because as a school teacher, I would I would see that, and I would even see kids who like I you know I was a music teacher, so I would tell have kids uh. You got a five year old like, hey, okay, come sing. He's like, I can't sing. It's like you're five. What are you talking about? <laughs> How do you? No, but when a plant, when somebody's playing, and if you're just in the shower singing, you're not thinking about you can't sing. You just mm-hmm. sing you know. So I want to get to to that part of uh, of life where you just come here, you forget all oh, whatever you know, your bills, whatever you're going through. Boom, come in here. We are here to play and have some fun. Come on, adult playing, not <laughs> <laughs> nothing do- like that.
2: When Especially within, when you're with your band Do you feel like You're a musician who's doing comedy Do you feel like You're a comedian who's doing music Do you feel like This is just Craig Like I am a Whatever the show's taking me I'm going to be doing Whatever the energy is
1: When I'm with the band I, it's, it's like I am he <laughs> it, My band lifts me You hear me It's uh, I feel like I could fly Yeah You know Like being at an Earth, Wind & Fire concert But um, Yes it's, it's I I am I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm both, I'm all. it's Because it's, sometimes I'm doing, I'm you know straight musician in it, and it's sometimes it's comedy and music, sometimes it's straight comedy, band's quiet. So it's all encompassing.
2: Yeah, I, uh, you know, it, it, you get to do something that a lot of comedians don't get to, which is like a comedian goes on stage and they have to be funny most, you know, they have to essentially be funny the entire show. Maybe they, they can tell s- somewhat serious story, but then it has to be, and you can have moments where you are yourself singing earnestly. Like, it's not a joke. Like, it's a do you feel that as a fortunate thing? Do you feel like you get to express more of yourself than you would if you're just doing stand up without it?
1: Extremely fortunate. It's it's the best. It's the freedom um of all of that. Of all of that, yeah. Especially, I mean, I I've, I've cried also like like <laughs> I was directing a band one time we were doing Nathan Dorma. Mm. Uh and uh and I mean, I and I just busting in tears. I'm trying to finish directing the band. <laughs> so, you know, to to even to have, and I'm sure people are like, well, you didn't pay for this, but uh, <laughs> but it was all right. Um, so, so yeah, there, there there are moments where it's uh, where, where uh, my emotions get the best of me while conducting or performing, what have you, and um, you know. We'll be right back with more Craig Robinson.
3: Calling all female runners! It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women
2: Now back to Craig Robinson. The first time I ever saw you, you mentioned Bill Maher, was on Real Time Bill Maher with you and Jerry Minor uh, singing a song. Um, and I learned retrospect that that was like a big breakthrough moment for y'all. Like you got some opportunities from that that I think Greg Daniel saw that. For sure, for sure. And it seemed like it felt like because that was a breakthrough that people were casting you for you, did it feel like you were given opportunities to sort of express your comedic point of views even when you're given early sort of just acting roles, even if it was a smaller
1: part? I can tell you this. I would just go in and, and try to do the work and try to keep the job. Yeah. That was that was my forte. Go in, okay, this is the scene, you know, just be prepared, be on time, be kind to people, and, you know, and figure it out from there. But as far as uh. Yeah, I mean,
2: I guess the different question is like, do you remember a moment in acting where you felt like, "I'm this is Craig Robinson's comedy in the shell of whatever the show okay, is." But like, okay, um,
1: knocked up. Yeah, was a was a is a, a good example of that where where I felt like, okay, this is, uh, you know, he cares w- what I'm saying because Judd would like, essentially essentially top half of that monologue was Judd and the bottom half was was me improvising and. uh and I remember writing stuff around that. Mm-hmm. Hi. What's up, end of the line, please. Really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, come on.
1: Look, we have capacity, okay? We'll let some people in when it clears out a little. you get right in if you go back to end of the line.
0: We come here all the time. It's not a big deal. It doesn't really look that crowded in there. <laughs> hey,
1: look, I don't make the rules. So. Please. No. Hey, what's up, shorty? What's up, pretty girls? See y'all when y'all get out. What's up?
0: What was that? What the fuck was that?
1: It is what it is, sweetie. Now, can you step to the back, please? You don't, need to, yeah, you no, to you don't need to call me sweetie. No, you don't need to call
0: me sweetie.
1: You want to come in? You're gonna have to go to the end of the line, wait like everybody else.
0: I'm not gonna go to the end of the fucking line. Who the fuck are you? I have just as much of a right to be here as any of these little skanky girls. What, am I not skanky enough for you? You want me to hike up my fucking skirt? What the fuck is your problem? I'm not going anywhere. You're just some roided out freak with a fucking clipboard and your stupid little fucking rope. You know what? You may have power now, but you're not God. You're a doorman, okay? You're a doorman, 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 doorman. So fuck you.
1: I know. You're right. I'm so sorry. I fucking hate this job. I don't wanna be the one to pass judgment, decide who gets in. Shit makes me sick in my stomach. I get the runs from the stress.
4: It's not cause you're
1: not hot. I would love to tap that ass. I would tear that ass up. I can't let you in cause you old as fuck. For this club, not, you know, for the earth. What? You old, she pregnant. Can't have a bunch of old pregnant bitches running around. That's crazy. I'm only allowed to let in 5% black people. He said that, 5%. That mean, if it's 25 people here, I get to let in one and a quarter black people. So I gotta hope it's a black midget in the crowd. So by the time I got to improvising, there was some stuff I incorporated and some stuff that popped up on the day. But I remember Jeb was like, you know, when he was yelling back my lines to me to make sure we got them, he was like, oh, pregnant bitches! You know, I'm like, that thats that was a moment of feeling like, what? oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in here, I got this.
2: Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Killing It, but I want to ask you briefly about your experience with Mr. Robinson. You know, 2015, you get, it's your show, mm-hmm. your name on it, it's sort of based on your story. Um, it ended up, you know, being burnt out during the summer. Coming out of that, how did you feel? Did you feel like you wanted more opportunities for that? Did you feel like were you nervous that you weren't
1: going to get anything? You know, like where were you? I, well, at that point, it was, uh, you know, you know I, I was grateful to get it. I, it. But at that point, from from being in Hollywood a while, you know, you you, you never. It was a new experience because we we got the ratings. I thought up to that point, everything was about ratings. We yeah. had these incredible ratings. Um, there was an article that tried to make us look bad. I don't know, I'm not gonna say the publication, but and people said it was a racist publication. But <laughs> I'm, put it like this: There was, a, I think, Halle Berry had a show maybe called Extant or something. I forget what's called, and they they were raving about what her show did, and let's say let's say her show got a point seven, and then she retained. Half the audience. Mm. I mean, okay, so, this is just yeah, random numbers. Yeah, and in my show, got like a one and and uh, they showed it the second episode and it retained the whole mm. audience. And that's all they reported. They didn't say that was incredible. Or anything it was just <laughs> like, yeah, Craig Robinson's show did that. And then you know whatever yeah. else, everything else was better than what my show. So when um, when we got these incredible ratings for like uh, uh, we followed the Super Bowl and and people stayed to watch the show, you know stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, that's, well, if it's about ratings, but yeah. they were like, wah, wah. <laughs> and uh, no, I wasn't worried about uh, other opportunities. Yeah. I was, you know, I've always been, you know, glad to get the opportunities that I got. Now I'll tell you when I did think things were going to, uh, 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 I thought the show was going to keep going. We did a show called Lucky mm. on FX it was like my first first thing, and it was Billy Gardell. Uh, we were partners on the show. Uh, uh, John Corbett was the lead of the show, and and I couldn't have had a better partner than Billy Gardell in, in kind of baptizing me yeah. uh, into to that part of the business. But um, we we did we did the show. When I tell you every critic, it was, I probably had thirty newspaper clippings of critics and, and magazines. Lucky is the you know best thing to slice bread. Bring on more Mother. My name was Mother Legendre on the show. <laughs> uh, bring on more. I, I mean, it was hit after, yeah. hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. And it just was I mean, And then it went to, it was uh, it was uh, uh, The Shield had come out. And then we were, uh, their comedy, Lucky. And then Nip Tuck was coming on after us for the first time. So we went to a premiere party for Nip Tuck. President of FX. <laughs> Looked me square in the face, said, you guys got nothing to worry about. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, ho, ho, ho. and so the day came. And I mean, I spent every dime of that, <laughs> uh, 8, 12, whatever episodes it was, I spent every dime. And I was sending. Them, but I was like, yeah. we got another season coming. Something soon, some, just waiting to pick it up. Manager called Hey buddy. Hey man. Sorry, man. They uh they let go of the show. Oh, okay. And then uh his two brothers, uh Mark Cullen, Rob Cullen, they call separately. Hey man, just letting you know. <laughs> and then by the time Billy Gardell called me, like, I heard already. But I was I literally was like sitting there holding my chair, like, how? I yeah. was, and I and I I couldn't let that that moment happened to me again. um, Everything has to be like, look, you know, I appreciate, I enjoy the moment and whatever happens is is beyond my control.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's a good way. That's good to get that lesson early because I feel like Hollywood will teach you that lesson at some point. Over and over again
1: if if you let them.
2: So, um, you know, I was telling you before, I really love Killing It and it's a really interesting tone for a comedy. Um, Like, just sort of how it mixes dramatic moments but like really big Comedy Moments.
1: Craig, wow. I barely recognize you out of your guard uniform. I need $20,000 for a down payment on a piece of swamp land. Are you applying for a loan? Yeah. I'm an advocate for black people. It's important you know that
4: because I can't give you a loan.
1: I've worked on that presentation for over a year. This is your life, Gregory. You got to take action. I don't have much right now. I have no car. Call the fire department. My home is a 24-hour gym. Hey, Camille. Marco. I got offered a new job in Columbus, Ohio. You're not taking my daughter to Columbus. They don't even have a sports team. They have the blue jackets. You are not making my daughter a hockey fan. Doing the right thing is never a mistake. I believe in karma. What about Nemo's mom and finding Nemo? You think she got what was coming to her? We don't know what Nemo's mom did before the movie started. We don't know how she was.
2: You know, you worked on it with some guys from the Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Can you talk about, you know, they came to you with a sort of this part of the idea was like, hey, there's these snake-killing things, but like working on it to get to like what the show became, which is just
1: so much more than that. Yeah, we, we started with uh, a meeting with uh, uh, Dan Gore, who's like, look, we want to, you know, be in business with you uh, beyond Brooklyn. And yeah. It was like the Maybe eighth or almost the final season. Brooklyn was about to end. But it was still some time left, but might have been a year or two left. So we started uh, meeting up. Uh, Luke Del Tridici, Dan Gore, Mark Shulman, and myself. We were meeting at Vinnie's and West Hollywood. And so uh, after a few meetings, you know, uh, uh, Dan and Luke came with three ideas. I don't remember the other two, but they came with this one, and it was a true story about these. Snakes and, uh, uh, and 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 he's uh, uh, people. The, the state of Florida hiring people to, to to corral these snakes because they're out of it's out of control. The snake population because nothing eats them and they eat everything. So we, uh, so it was like, okay, that's interesting and weird. And I haven't seen anything like that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, go write that. Let's see yeah, what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they wrote it, came back with the pilot, uh, and, and uh, some. They, they it went through some channels, the uh, network. Uh, we we got it to, to Peacock. They the ones that bought, you know, bit, and uh, that next thing you know, there's a deaf character, uh, and it, you know, it just kept evolving. Yeah, pandemic is going on, and uh, every so often they gotta come up with the, you know, rewrite and this that other. And uh, so we got to got to the point where we were shooting it. Um, th- so you you, I would defer to those guys as far as how it got to where it got to. Yeah, yeah. Because I love that too. You know, what I'm saying because it it does take <laughs> a couple of dark turns. Oh, you know, wait, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> how, yeah, I was okay. Just, I can be like, this is one of the saddest <laughs> shows I've ever seen. <laughs> I was just laughing. So uh, yeah, they 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 took some some great liberties, and I'm glad they did.
2: Yeah. um speaking of tone, I'm always interested to hear about how people approach being the star of the show, like being the number one on the call sheet and and settings are sort of the tone of what it'd be like to work on a show. Can you talk about how you approach that and and specifically if there's anything
1: you learned from working with Steve on the office? As, uh, I studied Steve. I studied whenever I'm on a show. I mean, I've been blessed to. To to see how the number ones work, Larry David, I was on Curb for an episode. I, I was on a Bernie Mac show. I got to see Bernie and uh, uh, Steve, and, and they've all been majorly gracious. Mm-hmm. They take time for everybody. They uh you know um, and they they're brilliant. They they know how to mine scenes for for uh, for gold, and you know they're just. They're, they're, and from the top down, it was always it was always dope. So I I feel like I was trained, mm. you know, to come in and and, and be number one. It's <laughs> it's not so because it's not like who I have I must be number one on the call sheet. Never been that. It's just like okay, this is where I'm at. I'm ready for this this mm-hmm. month. Um, is there
2: anything you specifically remember doing of like this is? It's hard to describe. Like, do you remember when you were a leader? But like, what does it look like? What do you? Come to set. Like, what? How do you? How do you try to set that tone to make sure? Well, it, it,
1: one it, of the things I, I would do would be to call rehearsals. You know, we got like a five-page scene or something. Like, come on, y'all, let's, let's get on this. And uh um, but it's uh, you know everybody's grown and do what they do. It's, it's, yeah, we're all actors. We, we, let's do our thing. But uh, it's it's not like okay, here we go we're into battle. It, it is, but it's not. You know. Yeah, yeah. So it's not not like you, you have to. Do so much. It's just everybody shows up and do what they do. And as as the leader, you you have be on your shit, have your shit together. You yeah. don't you don't you don't come in late and then expect others. Well, if he's doing it, yeah, yeah, they might be seeing it like that. I don't know. The biggest thing I think would, would be the call rehearsal and then lead by example. Like I said, be nice, show up on time. You know, know do the shit. work. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the rehearsal was a big thing because. You know, sometimes we were shooting in a hurricane, or you know, shooting with animals, and you, you 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 had you had to move a scene up because uh, something happened. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was always something. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, watching this, I was thinking, as you know, watching a lot of your work and to prepare for this, I was, I was think, seeing how often you play these characters that are sensitive, but they're, they're, what what differs is sort of how. To the surface, that sensitivity is. Like sometimes it's more covered up. Um, There's people that are tough to cover up how sensitive they are. But there are a sensitivity to all these people. Is that something that you – is that just in you? Is that something that you see? Is that something that you feel like is key to when you approach a
1: role? It's uh, – I I don't know how that keeps happening. (laughs) I remember (laughs) that uh, uh, when I did uh, Mr. Robot. Yeah. Uh, Sam was like, yeah, yeah, I think you you can make that turn I need you to make. (laughs) So, you know, this this nice guy who everybody loves, and then all of a sudden he's this crazy freaking gank (laughs) to do almost. Or even in, like, Knocked Up, he's, you know, the sensitive bouncer. So it it might be something I'm not not going in going, hey, let's make this guy sensitive, all right? (laughs) it's just some, everything has to have heart everything yeah. has to have some heart in it though this one was a little more vulnerable there's yeah. a scene um, uh, 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 in 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 uh, uh, killing it where it was just felt so something non that you wouldn't say to someone it was me explaining to my ex-wife that you should be upset with me oh, yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. that was a real vulnerable moment like 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 even if you wanna say that, you you wouldn't say that. So I was like, don't don't treat me like you should be upset with me because I, I did you know Yeah, you should expect me. Expect me to do better. Yeah. You know? So uh I was that was I thought that was a very interesting <laughs> writing and uh interesting moment.
2: Um you know, Killing It is a show about the pursuit of the American dream and and, and, and often how the American dream can overtake someone's vision, can take over their personal life. You know Part of this interview, we're talking about sort of how you pursued your dream of, be, you know, becoming a comedian. Is that something you responded to? What is your relationship to the the American dream, or just
1: sort of the ups, almost obsessive pursuit of one's goals? Determination, key, and and in the face of uh, adversity, through my comedy career, uh, it, it didn't matter. Yeah, it, it was there was always okay. Next step. Okay, this is what we're doing next. You, you okay, you don't want me to perform here? That's fine. Uh, it, you know, when I went to a club one time and uh and I had, and I came in and I was like, hey, this, you know, I'm, I'm Craig. This is uh my tape. And it was a Def Jam tape. You saw it's clean. Yeah. There's no cuts. Yeah. And the lady's like, we don't go blue here. <laughs> I was like, it's not blue. Check it out. Didn't hear from her. End up doing Montreal. She was there. So when are you coming to the room? <laughs> when are you coming to? Because, you know, Montreal, man, that's, yeah. that, was, that, was, that, was, that was saying, hey, what, what did it without you. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that, that's happened. That, I've seen that happen more times. Uh, uh, one time, you know, I leave names out, but one time a uh, lady hosted the room in Chicago, and I was, and, and Corey Holcomb, I can say that, he introduced me to her. He said, He's a funny comic. And then. She didn't even look at me in the eyes. She's like, uh-huh. and, uh huh. And then after my death, damn, she's, yeah. uh, we did a gig together. She's like, it's my babies all growing up. I was like, wow, because I remember, yeah, because I'm I'm the guy who you know you would, <laughs> the people would look past, yeah. Oh, he's not this, that, other, whatever. It, it's and being you know deadpan and, and quiet. So it was it was funny to be that guy who who got looked over and then come back and, and then actually be Craig Robinson. Were there
2: times where it felt like it was, this determination was clouding your the rest of your, you know, like this character that you play, part of it is, you know, we have a sense that it ends up okay, but there are parts where you, you're you nervous that his, his desire to become rich is overtaking his ability to, like, be a father or, or be a husband or just sort of, like... And this is not to say. Do you relate to it? Do you, Is it something that you see of people who are just trying to succeed and not really even thinking about like, oh, how how do I even just express myself properly? You know, like I want I'm almost like I want to be a famous comedian more than I want to be a good comedian.
1: Well, there was a certain level of naivete to, that I had to have, yeah. to even enter this, you know, to to, to his position. You know what I mean? Because I had a, I was a teacher. I had a good job. It was. It was. I could have. Yeah. You know, settled down and fine. So there was. You know, sacrifice, whatever that was, and uh, and then and left. I mean, I like I said, I got a development deal and, and came out to LA, but that I ran out of that money quickly. So it, but again, I still was like, okay, one foot forward. Let's go. You, you made it before. You can make it again. You yeah. Know? And this time you won't lose it.
2: Yeah. Um, there's a scene in the pilot where your character pitches a lot of bank loan people, a lot of white white bank loan guys, and they all listen. Then they just ask you about Jamie Foxx. Right. Um, <laughs> Do you have any similar experience of trying to pitch in Hollywood to these people that are not necessarily listening? It felt like more, more of uh,
1: auditions. Yeah, I've been on. I've been on auditions where, in, in retrospect, it probably wasn't even the casting director. It was probably, you know, an assistant or something like. Eh, okay, yeah, next. I, I i've 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 been auditioned where I felt like the person wasn't even listening uh I've been scolded in an audition and for because they had an attitude it was nothing I did I remember I was doing this audition this one lady's like he stop trying what are you trying to look at my papers for I'm like and she told my man she's like he was looking at my papers like what papers are you I'm like, I'm looking at on papers so it's been it's, yeah I've, there's been plenty of situations where uh where I felt like I wasn't being seen yeah. uh, or taken seriously, and you know, what, what you gonna do? You, yeah. You, because one thing I did notice is that uh, uh, the people who who, uh, for lack of a better word, I'm gonna say matter. Hmm. They know what's up. They see and they like. Because I've, I've been called into projects by people who is like, wait, what? They know who I am. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Rodney Dangerfield told me I was funny yeah. you know what I'm saying it's a, so it's like uh, it's, 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 there, there are people out there who, who are talented and it's, it's a game recognized game thing so it's been like thank you God
2: <laughs> Um, speak. speaking of dreams I, I heard you once allude to sort of a, a dream project you wanted to work on but you didn't want to say what it was you want to play your cards close to your chest and I don't you don't have to say whatever this dream project is but can you say what you would hope to achieve from it or hope to – it expresses what what part of yourself do you want this thing that you haven't gotten to do to do? Does that make sense <laughs> as a workaround?
1: No. Yes, sure. Uh, it all goes back to that feeling of being in a comedy club mm. and that laughter and just being ethereal and just something you can float on and yeah. coast to- on. I had a, a a moment the other day on stage. It was it was brief, and uh, and it, it changed the rest of the night because I I was everybody was laughing, having a great time, and I had this moment. It sounds crazy, but it was like, oh man, I wish I was the guy making them laugh. I wish I was up on that stage. They realized, oh, it is me. Yeah, yeah. And it just was like, and it made me really appreciate what's going on you know and like oh well if you like that one watch this you know so uh I'm, i never think that i'm funny or going to be funny mm. um i mean I, I i appreciate it and i know it's a gift uh and it's it's but but my my thought on that is like as far as not thinking that is like like pride goes before the fall yeah you know what i'm saying so uh, I've had shows where I was like I'm about to <laughs> and then it's like, wah, wah. so uh, uh, I always approach it like I just, I just want to connect with the yeah. crowd how has it been
2: coming back from the pandemic after what I imagine the longest time not being able to connect
1: to a crowd um, so during the pandemic I would do go to the Laugh Factory in LA with uh, Enrique Misterioso shout out um, and we would do these, uh, and it was like a few comics, so we were like social distancing and, and, uh, there was this guy, Teran, was hosting and, 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 I, and I'd be on the keyboard and, and, um, comics would come do that set for the internet, mm. you know, just for a camera and, and no audience. The only audience was us, a couple of people that were in there and sometimes we'd be in there howling, but people, it really showed you the art of mm. comedy, Yeah, that comedy is a true art form. And some people can come in there and just hammer out their <laughs> set, and no problem. And some people are like, as soon as they don't hear a laugh, like, which you feel like you're bombing, but it's like there's nobody here to laugh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, so after doing that and then seeing like you know the Laugh Factory empty and imagining what is what it had been mm-hmm. like and what it's gonna be like again, and then coming back and, I, and I'm full speed ahead now. I'm, I'm touring almost every weekend. Uh, it's it's been. Gangbusters! It's been so much fun. Like I said the other day, it was I had that moment of uh, like seeing a George Wallace or 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 Steve Harvey or somebody like you know, and just I, I felt that magic. there. Yeah. I felt in the crowd on stage. I felt I felt that. So it's been great. Been writing I, when I was filming Killing. It, I was uh, writing and going uh, hitting open mics and hitting hitting mm-hmm. mics and it it was a. Uh, that was a blast, um, so I got a couple new jokes here and there, a couple different songs to play, and and and, and, and my jokes are songs a lot of times, uh, uh, punchlines are songs, so it's it's been, a, am having a, a wonderful time on stage. I'm in a beautiful rhythm. When it's really working, when you're really connecting, I,
2: I know that at some point you know you would play music at the church. I know your mom did music for the church. Does it feel religious and whatever that means? Does it feel spiritual?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yes, it does. It's, uh, it's like being on the cloud, and you know, especially when you, you, know, when it's all hidden, boom, 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 and take my time, but do it right, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, a few years ago, you,
2: the Netflix had the Deaf Jam 25 the celebration of the Deaf Comedy Jam. Yes. You were invited, you did a bit about searching words.
1: During Deaf Comedy Jam's run, literally hundreds of comedians performed thousands of hours of original comedy routines. So when it came to the overwhelming task of wading through all that material and selecting the clips you're seeing here tonight, they needed to come up with an efficient system. So some smart person developed this app, Deaf Word Search app. It is able to search any word or phrase and immediately find every occurrence of it on the show. For instance, uh, let's try something simple. Deaf Word. Search yachting. Yachting. Searching yachting. I actually won a contest to be on Deaf Comedy Jam. Accountants located. OK, it's here, it's here. Yachting. All right, I'm, I'm surprised there was one. OK. Uh, let me see, something. Um, that was a little random. Let's see something else. Deaf words. Search. Baby mama. Searching. Baby mama. You know, the dominant-submissive relationship is the interesting. Is located. They found it. Baby mama. Baby
0: mama. Baby mama. Baby <laughs> mama.
2: I thought there would have been more. It went over really well. What was that experience like? What
1: did it, and what did it feel like to be included in, in that? Oh, it was, uh, it was a huge honor. It was huge honor. There was some uh, trepidation. <laughs> uh, I, I was because because I helped kind of. They did the bit, you know. They had the bit. It was a little longer, and I was like, "What if we cut this?" cut mm-hmm. that? But uh, but they and they were you know. But it, it was it was a huge honor, especially to be there, and and um, the stuff that you didn't see. Oh my God, uh, Dave Chappelle came up there and just wreaked havoc. <laughs> He's standing there with Hughley, you know, DL. It was it was amazing, but uh, it it was it was a huge honor. Um, I was so glad to be a part. I was so glad they didn't ask me to do a set. Nobody, I don't think, no anybody wants to do a, a set because <laughs> I talked to Stan He was like nobody is trying to, you know. Yeah, I think
2: Adele written. was the only one who did it. Adele Givens was the only mm-hmm. one who like just straight balls. up did it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> which makes sense. So now it's time for the final segment of the show. It's called the Laughing Round. It's like a lightning round because this is a comedy podcast. I call it the the Laughing Round. Got right. it. Thanks. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite joke? Joke, like a street joke.
1: Oh man! Or whatever one you think of, you don't even have to like it. Tons. But hey, let me see. Let me see. What's my? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um. I'm gonna credit Geechee guy. What's the? Uh, what do they say? Uh, Why the man get fired from the orange juice factory? Why he couldn't concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
2: <laughs> wonderful.
1: Um, do you have a,
2: a, a joke or a, a musical song that you wish you could steal? Like it's a the world. You know, it's another dimension where everything's the same, but this joke or this comedic song or this anything is yours. You get to play it. It. No one will accuse you of stealing because you've. Magically wrote this
1: song. It's your song. It's your joke, whatever. Probably, uh, what's up with that from SNL? <laughs> I love that bit. What's up with that? What's up with that? Ooh, wee. What's up? What's up with that? Shout out Keenan.
2: <laughs> he's listening. he's told me he's going to listen to this one. Um, you're uh, you're participating in one what is considered one of the most famous comedy bloopers in the history of comedy, which is the East Bound and Down scene with Will Ferrell. Do you have any memories from
1: shooting that? Very much so. Did you see Bat Fight? Write that down. Go, go see that after this. Uh, but um, that came out of out of that moment. But um, yeah, I remember standing there trying to, (laughs) almost busting a brain (laughs) vessel, trying to stare in the face, the eyes of Danny McBride, and while Will Ferrell is deliberately trying to murder us, trying to ruin a take, you know, talking about his, (laughs) my plums, bluish hue, (laughs) sun dancing off him just nice. So
4: you double retired? (laughs) really? (laughs) Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums, getting all swollen with a light blue hue to them, fresh and juicy, ready for the picking. All the school children are lining up to put them in the sack lunches. Hey, that plum looks good. Can I trade it for your Twinkie? No, these are my plums. I want to bite into that plum and let the juice spill down my chin. You know what I mean? All the while, everyone's said, I want the juice to spill it. The- <laughs> okay, okay. <clears throat> if I recall correctly, if I recall correctly, my plums, beautiful bluish hue, the sun, Just dancing right off of them, just nice. Getting ready to take them to market. (laughs) I can feel it down in my plums. (laughs) I can feel it down in my plums. They're getting a nice bluish hue. Getting ready to take them to the farmer's market. Special two plums for one. (laughs)
1: And my son Gabriel, like he was, it was it was all we got to understand, It's all new, fresh. Yeah. And like what the frick? <laughs> and he's laughing. He he checking in with us. Oh man, it was it was a beautiful day of laughter, and I I felt horrible. I was trying, man. I was trying I was so hard. Tears came down my eyes.
2: Um, do you have an office memory that you've not shared before in an interview that you'd like to share now? <sighs> Um
1: let's see, I uh Rain hit me in the head with a <laughs> with a three-pound dumbbell. <laughs> rain, dude, we were filming the uh the well, look, well, I said Lejean Brains, uh the workout episode, and it was going on Dwight's gym, and it, at the very end, you know, it was like B-rolling. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's go. And so, two takes, we went past two, three takes. He didn't throw anything. Yeah, yeah. He had the dumbbell. Third, fourth take, whatever it was. I said, okay, agree. I look away. And as I looked away, he tossed. He wasn't trying to do it, but he tossed the freaking dumbbell. I mean, you heard, (laughs) it was, ah, oh, it was a pain there. He he felt (laughs) horrible. He's like, oh, you, oh, you. It's like, I'm all good.
2: Um, do you have a, a short story of an interaction with a legendary comedian living or dead?
1: Oh, I got a couple. Um, I, the, 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 tell them all. We, what, what <laughs> okay, so I met Richard Pryor. He was in a wheelchair. We, I seen him at the sunset, Strip, the uh, a comedy store. And, wow. and uh, you know, he, he was he was on his way out, but he was still sharp. And uh, I got to say hello, you know, and I love you. to shake his hand and move out the way. Um eddie murphy i've now worked with uh, like, on Dol- on dolomite uh, on, and on shrek oh, forever yeah. after so the first <laughs> first time i worked with eddie i, I saw him the next day driving like, i'd never seen Eddie murphy out uh, except for one time he was at the uh laugh factory um but but uh but i i was uh, we had did some signing posters with shrek and someone you know say hello the next day he's I see it, it's bent, drop top Bentley I'm like that can only be one of a few black men driving this <laughs> uh, uh, around town and it was Eddie I was like oh, hey, what's up he was, what's up man was, so you know Eddie's my like my favorite And uh, but working with him on Dolomite here I'll tell you this there was a moment uh, 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 Mike Epps was uh, supposed to be roasting this, this lady in front of us at the movie theater and uh and he was coming up with names for it, and I said, uh, "Sandy Duncan, right?" So five minutes later, Eddie comes on set, and we about to do our thing, and then uh, the director was like, one, "One of the things he said, Sandy Duncan," and Eddie's talking, "Da da da," he said, "Yeah, Sandy Duncan is funny, yeah, yeah." So that was like you could you could have seen my chest, so, you know. Um, Yes, yeah, so that there was that. Rodney Dangerfield told me I was funny. Uh, man, I'm. It's so, I mean, so many. Yeah, so many. Um, do you have
2: advice for a comedian, for an actor, writer, creative person, just a young person, music school teacher? SOS.
1: Stay on stage every night if you can. Mm. And if you can if you if you're not on stage, turn wherever you at into a stage, man. I, I performed at a Denny's, you know, just randomly being just stupid just because of, I felt like I needed to, you know, get these jokes out. Yeah. Um, of course, nowadays, yeah, watch yourself, <laughs> but stay on stage, man. Keep keep writing, keep performing, um, hone
2: your craft. Oh,
1: I want to ask, did you perform
2: at? Bernie Mac's stage when he had that in Chicago?
1: Yes. Bernie Mac had a, uh, a spot called Milch. It was Milch Jazz Club. It was in the basement of the uh, Hyatt, uh, downtown Chicago. At 8 p.m. the show started. People were there. It was packed out by 5 p.m. on a Tuesday. It was amazing. Bernie would come yeah. out, tell jokes, do, do bits uh, with Ali Leroy. He bring out a, a comic from Chicago, I think mostly. And a, a singer from Chicago had the band going, had the the macaronis, the, the dancers, uh, and you know he tried to do that on HBO. I think he had like four episodes on HBO or something. But I, I went uh, one week in Ali LaRoy. I was in the bathroom. I, I mean, I, we went to the bathroom because that's where you can yeah. hear. And I played my act for him. He like was tripping out. He was like, "Okay, you on next week?" Came down the next week. I was six months into comedy, and I told Bernie that as he as he introduced me, how long have you been doing comedy? Six months. He like, oh. so he wasn't expecting much, but he so he kind of joined and roasted me a little bit, and essentially he sat down next to me and essentially held my hand. Yeah. But he was it was him sitting down next to me giving me support, and I went through the act. He was like, Craig, whatever you need. Uh, I, don't hesitate. Let me know. I wish oh, I got to find that VH, VHS. I know it's somewhere in Chicago. Oh, you performing at that show? Yes, and uh, and 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 then you know he was a man of his word. I ended up doing his show, Bernie Mac, later on several years later. But he was uh, he he couldn't have been uh, more gracious. Yeah. You know. Um, and last
2: one. Do you have a, a, a joke or a musical song or anything that uh, you thought was so funny? that you brought on stage, it didn't work, maybe tried it more times, it didn't work, but you would go to your grave being like, that was funny, all those people were wrong?
1: Hmm. Yes, let me see, <laughs> let me see, let me see. Specifically, specifically, specifically. Uh, I do this joke. It used to get laughs, but now it doesn't get anything. <laughs> I still do it. I, uh, I say, uh, I love you, I hate you. Come closer to me, get away from me. <laughs> And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And I pull up a towel from under my seat, and I go, I was on the rag. <laughs> and, uh, and and uh, you're talking about a serious. <laughs> so every once in a while, somebody laughs. Not, not lately, but I'm, it's not going anywhere. So there you go. <laughs> That's perfect.
2: Uh, thank you so much. Is there anything you want any music to play us, play us out?
1: Welcome to Good One. Show about talking them jokes. Mm, son. Hey, 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 Good One. It's a good one. Hey, thank you so much, bro. Thank you, man. That's
2: it for another episode of Good One. Watch Killing It on Peacock. Follow Craig on social media at Mr. Craig Robinson. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Godmashrigashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture in the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one.
3: Why do you run? Why does anyone? You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.
2: Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today
3: to explore the full range of features.